Meet Lauren. She's 32 and dealing with anxiety for most of her life. While some things could be situational and it's easy to see that a stressful event may create anxiety, many times she feels anxious without any specific triggering event that she's aware of. She would often have thoughts that would go round and round in her head and it would be hard to get out of the cycle with a lot of negative self-talk. Sometimes she wakes up with these thoughts and is anxious out of the blue, and other times it happens later in the day, and it seems like there's no rhyme or reason for when it comes. The only pattern she did notice is that it was worse in the winter when the days were colder and there was less light. Years of anxiety medications were just covering up the symptoms, and they made her feel flat and not herself, so she didn't want to stay on them. She has dealt with this for a long time and has created some coping techniques like breathing and mindfulness that somewhat help in the moment when it's really bad or when she has a full-blown anxiety attack. However, Lauren really wanted to get to the bottom of why this was happening, and that is how she found me. I knew that her neurotransmitters played a big role, but it's not always as obvious as it may seem. So we had to do some testing and digging to get to the bottom of this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Lauren and her struggle with anxiety. Joining me on the show today to talk more about Lauren's case is the food mood expert, Trudy Scott. She's a certified nutritionist on a mission to educate and empower anxious women so they could find nutritional solutions for their anxiety and stress. She's known for her expertise in the use of targeted individual amino acids, the social anxiety condition pyloria, and the harmful effects of benzodiazepines. Trudy is the author of The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution, How the Foods You Eat Can Help Calm Your Anxious Mind, Improve Your Move, and End Cravings. And she's the host of The Anxiety Summit, now in its fifth season. And this fifth season is airing this week right now, the week of November 11th, 2019. Trudy, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me here, Anna. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So Trudy, anxiety affects so many people these days, and there's so many underlying factors as with most things that we look at. However, one big one is our neurotransmitters. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter that people may be somewhat familiar with, but perhaps not in great detail. Can you tell us more about serotonin's role in anxiety? Yes. And you say that people may be familiar with it. And often we think about low serotonin and depression. So that one is more familiar than the anxiety connection. But with low serotonin, as well as some of the negative self-talk and the low mood and the uh, lack of confidence and lack of self-esteem, we can have anxiety. And this can look like worry, uh, panic attacks, phobias, 
ruminating thoughts, the sort of reprocessing, rethinking things, obsessiveness, other obsessive behaviors or obsessive thinking, like lying awake at night, thinking about things. And then as with all the neurotransmitter imbalances, there is a cravings aspect. And in this case, it's afternoon and evening cravings. And then in order to satisfy some of those cravings, uh, you can we often self-medicate to help us calm down and feel relaxed and feel happier. So that's that's typically what we see with the low serotonin kind of anxiety. Interestingly enough, we know about the winter blues and feeling more depressed and more flat in the winter time, but there's also winter anxiety and a lot of people feel increasingly anxious and stressed in the winter time and it may be a similar mechanism that we see with the lower light in the winter time and the winter blues. Yeah, that's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think you're right. People often associate that with the depression and the blues, but not the anxiety. And so many people say, oh, I'm anxious because the holidays are coming and I have family stress or this and that. And they when I connect it to that. So that's such a good point. Uh, with serotonin, if someone is wondering if perhaps that's their issue as well, and if they have low serotonin, do you like any specific tests for serotonin? I like to do the trial method. So use a questionnaire to identify the symptoms. So I mentioned a number of symptoms there and I'll have uh, my client rate those symptoms on a scale of one to 10. And then we do a trial in office uh, with uh, with either 5-HTP or tryptophan and see how they are responding. So for example, if they have the worry and they have the ruminating thoughts or maybe kind of obsessive thinking, I would have them rate those because those are easy to measure. So sitting there, I'll have them say, well, what are, you, what are your symptoms out of, on a scale of one to 10? And they might say, well, I've been worrying about this discussion I had with someone and I just can't stop thinking about it. And it's, it's definitely a nine out of 10. And I have this um, obsessive thinking about this issue that's happening at work. And I just can't, I just can't stop thinking about it. That's also a nine out of 10. Then we'll do a trial of the, the amino acid and get some feedback right away. And we should be seeing results very quickly within five minutes. Uh, then I'll, you know, come back and say, well, how's that worry? And how's that sort of ruminating thoughts that you were having? And they'll say, oh, I'm not even thinking about it anymore. And they'll be pretty surprised often that it's working that quickly, but that's what we want. We want to see that quick results. And, and in doing when we do this trial, we have them open up the capsule. So if you open that capsule and you put it on your tongue, you're getting pretty quick feedback. That'll tell us, yes, that is uh, the, the symptoms that you have, the anxiety, the worry, the obsessive thinking are likely related to low serotonin and that using this uh, amino acid is going to help. Now, there are um, urinary neurotransmitter tests. There is also platelet uh, serotonin testing. I would never use a urinary neurotransmitter test. It doesn't seem to correlate with symptoms. If anything, a platelet serotonin test might be warranted. But quite frankly, I just find that doing the questionnaire and doing a trial of the amino acid is the most effective way to do it. The, the reason being is you find you figure out what the ideal dose is for the person too, because when we do that trial, if they just get one or two notches improvement, then we know that we could go higher when they actually start taking it. And then it also is giving someone immediate feedback because they're seeing those effects very quickly. And they can use that going forward because we started at a, at a lower 
dose, but then over the course of the next few weeks, I have them increase. And are they are they getting more improvements? And then increase again a week later, are they getting more improvements? And then we get to the point where we're finding that ideal amount because using these amino acids this way, it's targeted and individualized. So it's targeted to your unique needs and it's individualized, meaning it's it's something that you specifically need because not everyone needs serotonin support. So I'm finding that doing this questionnaire is the best way to figure it out. Mm, that's great to know because there are a lot of labs that offer the urinary neurotransmitter testing, but I am with you on that. It's just so hard to know that what's in the urine, like, is that the same as in your brain? You know, probably not. So it doesn't really give you an accurate result. So Trudy, I just want to go back a little bit when you started talking about the tryptophan and 5-HTP, because I think that some of my listeners may not be as familiar. So I'd love it if we could get into that just a little bit more in depth. So I know that those are amino acids and tell us a little bit more about how they work and how are they connected to serotonin for those that may not be familiar. Yes, so tryptophan and 5-HTP are amino acids and they are considered uh, substrates or precursors to uh, us for us to make serotonin. There are some other nutrients that are needed, zinc, vitamin B6, magnesium. They're all cofactors to, that together with tryptophan and all 5-HTP help us to make our own serotonin. So they think of them as the raw materials that we need. And they are amazing when given as a supplement to start to raise our levels and to start alleviate some of these symptoms that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this. And for everyone listening, you know, think of these, like Trudy said, as the building block, you know, whereas when we take certain medications, you know, and again, there's a time and place and I'm not always against medication, but with some of the medication theories for serotonin, they're not actually building serotonin. They're just concentrating in a specific area versus these are actually things that your body needs to make it. So rather than give the body something and make it lazy, we're actually saying here, here's the raw material now go and do something with it, you know, so it actually teaches the body to do it, which is great. And the is a place when to use tryptophan versus 5-HTP. I typically start with tryptophan. 5-HTP is also great. Some people do really well. So that's a matter of figuring out, do you do better with tryptophan or do you do better with 5-HTP? There is one study that shows that 5-HTP can raise cortisol. So if someone does have high cortisol, I would definitely start with tryptophan. And uh, the other thing is... Uh, with medications, if you are on an SSRI already, there is a possibility of serotonin syndrome. So I will always have my clients work with their doctor if they are currently on an antidepressant, I get the okay to use the amino acids and take them six hours away from the antidepressant. If they're doing the antidepressant in the evening, they would get permission from the doctor to switch to the morning because we typically want to give tryptophan or 5-HTP mid-afternoon and in the evening because that's when serotonin starts to take a dip. Now, in terms of dosages, and of course, every person is different and you mentioned that you would start titrating, but where do you usually start? With with 5-HTP, it's 50 milligrams and with tryptophan, it's 500 milligrams. And that is a typical starting dose. If someone is very sensitive and has, you know, said they react to supplements or they react to medications, we may start with 
um, much lower, actually opening up the capsule and just doing a little dab or a little pinch and starting really low. These are my pixie dust people. Mm -hmm. And some people just need a really, really, really tiny amount. But other than that, uh, 500 milligrams of tryptophan or 50 of the 5-HTP is a typical starting dose. And then that can increase, that can go up, and that would be twice a day. So I mentioned the mid-afternoon and the evening. So if you pick uh, the tryptophan, you would do 500 milligrams mid-afternoon and then 500 in the evening. Now, um, the one of the other symptoms that um, we see with low serotonin is sleep issues. And if sleep is a big issue as well as the anxiety, then we'll maybe do a little bit more in the evening. So we may do 500 milligrams mid-afternoon and maybe build up to doing 1,000 milligrams or even 1,500 milligrams at night. So it really depends on what the issue is. Uh, I mentioned mid-afternoon and evening. There are some people who have the low serotonin symptoms earlier in the day. And in this instance, we could use the tryptophan earlier in the day or sometimes use 5-HTP earlier in the day because it, some people using tryptophan or even 5-HTP earlier in the day it does make them sleepy. So it's a matter of trial and error to see what which is going to work. So it could be a combination of maybe 5-HTP in the morning for some of the earlier morning uh, low serotonin kind of anxiety. Then it could be tryptophan mid-afternoon and then it could be uh, tryptophan at night again. So really mixing and matching according to your unique needs. I think it's so great that people can feel this immediately. Like you said, if they open the capsule and put it on their tongue, within minutes, they could feel a difference. So then they know if it's working, if they need more, or if it's not doing anything, then maybe that's not their issue, right? Absolutely. And it may be that if they, if they say they score high on the questionnaire and they're not getting the results that you would expect, it may be that it's not enough. So that's why we would go up and see if we're getting more benefits. It may be the product. So it does def definitely need to be good quality. Uh, other factors that can affect what kind of results you see with the amino acids also is thyroid support. So if someone has underactive thyroid, that can make the amino acids less effective. So those would all be things to think about. And the other is gut health. I like to use the amino acids right at the start when I'm working with someone because they get results so quickly and gives them hope, which, which is what we're looking for. But for some people, uh, swallowing the amino acids, uh, not getting the results that you would expect and doing them sublingually after their trial is beneficial. So I mentioned during the trial method, we want to open them up and use them in the mouth sublingually. But for some people, continuing to use them like that is going to give better results. So if you do the trial, you get a huge improvement. Maybe it goes down four or five notches. Then you go home and you start swallowing the capsule and you're not getting those same results, then I would say definitely do it opened up. And, and it may be because of what's going on in the digestion that you're not able to ac actually uh, break down the, the capsule and use the amino acids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, in that point, we'd want to look and see what else is going on as that could be of an course. underlying factor. Yeah. Yes. And we want to always be doing that. These are not used instead of diet changes or instead of gut health or instead of looking at anything else. These are this kickoff, as I say, when I'm working with someone. But at the same time, then we're starting to make dietary changes. We're starting to look at gut health. Have they got parasites? Have they got dysbiosis? Have they got Hashimoto's? Whatever the condition is, you've got to look for all the underlying 
potential contributing factors. Why have they got serotonin in the first place? Is it because they've got gluten issues? Is it because they've got leaky gut? Is it parasites? Whatever the root causes, we've got to definitely go back and look at that. Good point. For sure. And do you find there's a big connection between low serotonin and gluten issues? Very much so. There is research supporting this connection that gluten issues can actually lower serotonin. So we've definitely got to go back upstream and look at what those root causes could be and gluten could be one of them. Yeah, and we'll get into gut health in just a second. But before we do that, I want to talk about GABA. So while some anxiety is caused by low serotonin, others may be caused by low GABA. Can you tell us a little bit more about this phenomenon and then how you would naturally raise GABA to ease these type of anxiety symptoms? Yes. So while the low serotonin anxiety is the ruminating thoughts and the worry and the reprocessing, sort of more in your head, think about the low GABA as being physical. It's in the body. So you'll feel stiff and tense. You'll a may lie in bed awake with the stiff and tenseness, feeling really tense and you can't get to sleep. Uh, when I do a trial, you'll, you'll, you'll actually see someone's shoulders visibly relax and they'll just go, ah, oh, I just feel much more relaxed in the physical body. You may also have this feeling of tenseness in the gut. Um, you hear this term butterflies in the stomach or like you've been punched in the gut kind of feeling. So it's a very physical kind of feeling. You also may uh, self-medicate with alcohol in order to relax. So I mentioned the cravings aspect with the low serotonin. There is this cravings aspect with low GABA, and often we will use alcohol. Sometimes people use carbs, but often it's alcohol in order to relax, in order to relax at the end of the day or to fit in at a social event. So if you are have this sort of stiff anxiety kind of tension and you have insomnia and you're also using alcohol to relax, that could be a clue that it's low GABA. And then just like we have the tryptophan and the 5-HTP as a this raw material or this building block for making serotonin, we have an amino acid, which actually is also called GABA. It stands for gamma amino butyric acid. And this can be used to raise the GABA levels so we don't feel like this. There are some other amino acids that can support GABA. Theanine is one of them, glycine, taurine. But I will always start with GABA. And in the same way that we did a trial for, uh, with the low serotonin symptoms, we'll do a trial looking at the low GABA symptoms. And the big thing, as I said, is that physical tension, you'll just see it relaxed. And it's great for helping with that, uh, you know, stopping that self-medication with, with alcohol as well. A lot of people will just say, oh, I felt like I had a glass of wine. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what you want. You want to be fixing the root cause of that tension and that anxiety. Right, right. That's great. Now with GABA, there are some people who say that it may not cross the blood-brain barrier or it might be not as effective. So what are your thoughts on that and how do you recommend people take it? Do you like sublingual forms or liquid forms of it? Definitely the sublingual form, and that seems to be the most effective across the board at all times. So during the trial and then afterwards, and that definitely um, provides better results, much uh, quicker results, but it seems to be um, much uh, more uh, effective in terms of giving relief from the symptoms. And there's, uh, yes, there is this uh, theory about the that it's not working uh, because it won't cross the blood-brain barrier, or if it does work, it's because there is a leaky blood-brain barrier. And that um, is very much up for debate. It's something that I've been debating about for a number of years. Um, 
And there's a number of new studies now that are questioning whether this is a fact. We know we have GABA receptors, not just in the brain, but all over the body. And this, uh, we've certainly got GABA receptors in our muscles. Is this why we feel that physical relief of tension when we take GABA because it's relaxing the muscles? Whereas also uh, we have the vagus nerve that uh, is communicating with the brain. We have um, the immune system that is communicating uh, with the brain. And uh, we, we don't quite frankly know exactly how it's working, but there's enough theories that the the, the blood-brain barrier question is definitely up for debate. I actually recently uh, interviewed Dr. Karazian, and we talked about this because he is uh, one of the practitioners who came out with this a GABA test where he says take very high levels of GABA and if you are noticing a benefit then it's possibly a connection to a leaky blood-brain barrier and he's now of the opinion that that was a theory and that maybe that's not the case anymore and mm. I'm glad you asked this question because it is probably one of the most common questions that I get about GABA and I, I think that we need to be open to the fact that there's other ways that this could be helping. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you're saying about having GABA receptors in other areas, specifically the muscles, I mean, that makes so much sense. And that's the part that creates the tension, you know, so it's not just about the brain. So that's great. Right. And these GABA receptors in the endocrine tissue, there's a lot of research now showing that GABA is uh, very uh, beneficial for uh, diabetes. It seems to that there's a lot of receptors in the pancreas, uh, where there's also GABA receptors in the liver. Um, so uh, the thyroid, it's it's amazing. There was actually an animal study that showed that fluoride-induced hypothyroidism was completely reversed using GABA. So it um, has very far-reaching implications. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember learning, and I can't remember the exact study, but it was back when I was going through school and they were talking about using GABA for low levels of secretory IgA. That's very interesting. And I love doing these interviews because I get to learn too. So I had not heard that one. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know the exact study to reference to two, but it was one of the teachers in our human nutrition master's program that talked about it. And it was when we were going over the GIFX test and looking at low secretory IgA, which is something that so many people have. And then with having, and for those that are listening, if you're not familiar, secretory IgA is basically the like your immunity of the gut um, in a nutshell. And so if that's low, then we have loss of tolerance and then we allow bugs and, you know, whether it's bacteria, whether it's yeast, parasites and other things to come in. And then when we look at things like neurotransmitters, since they're made in the gut, then obviously that could be one of the root causes as to why that can be off. And speaking of the gut, I know we started to talk about that uh, a little bit, and I just wanted to go back to it because, you know, as we know, both serotonin and GABA are going to be so connected to gut health. And in this season of the Anxiety Summit that's on right now, you're specifically focusing on 
the gut-brain axis. So can you give us some gems uh, about some of these connections? Yes. And it's so it's interesting uh, to be focusing on the gut, but also to see the very, very strong anxiety and mental health connections. And as we know, and as you know, we make so much serotonin in the gut. Over 95% of our serotonin is made in the gut. There's now research showing that 5-HTP can improve motility. Uh, there was a, a study that was actually published this year, 2019. It was an animal study, but uh, that's where we, we start with a lot of this research. But they found that timed release, uh, slow-released uh, 5-HTP improved motility and actually started to heal the gut and reduce depression in these in the animal study that they were looking at. So we know that with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, motility is a big issue. And the 5-HTP seemed to uh, reverse that and improve it, which, you know, reverse the damage to the gut and improve the motility, which I think is really exciting. So here we are taking 5-HTP to help with our low serotonin anxiety, and it's also starting to help the gut as well. So it's it's having these uh, multiple uh, benefits and then one of my other most exciting studies that I love to talk about is also an animal study, and they looked at Lactobacillus rhamnosus, which is a probiotic. We may you may have heard the term psychobiotics, basically that probiotics can act like antidepression or anti-anxiety medications. They are you know have an effect on the mood. In this study, they used Lactobacillus rhamnosus, and they found that it it had an effect on the GABA receptors and then it also lowered cortisol levels. And we didn't talk about another root cause of anxiety, but one another one is high cortisol levels. And in this instance, the lactobacillus rhamnosus, as well as affecting the GABA receptors, lowered the cortisol and effectively uh, reduced the anxiety. And in a follow-up study with, uh, with the same uh, probiotic lactobacillus rhamnosus, they actually severed the vagus nerve and they found that it was not having the same effects. So this gives us uh, you know, additional support that there is this two-way connection between the gut and the brain and that the vagus nerve is one of the, the paths that the, the, what's going on in the gut is communicated with the brain. So I think it's just really exciting. We're just seeing so much research on uh, gut-brain communication and how uh, so much of what goes on in the gut uh, does affect the brain. We know that if we've got parasites, if we've got dysbiosis, if we've got leaky gut, uh, if we've got uh, um, some kind of bacterial overgrowth in the gut, that is going to affect our mental health, our anxiety levels as well. Yeah, it's it's so amazing about all of the research that's out there. And I always say everything in the body is connected and this obviously just proves that more and more. Can we talk a little bit more about the vagus nerve? It's something that we talk a little bit about on the podcast, but it's just, I think is such an important topic. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the vagus nerve activation and that its role in anxiety? Yes. And this was one of the interviews that I did with Dr. Habib Nawaz on the summit. And it was, he's just amazing when it comes to information about the vagus nerve. And of course, we talked about this two-way connection between the gut and the brain, but there's, you know, it's, so it's important for gut health. It's important for mental health. And there's ways that we can actually activate the vagus nerve 
so it is more effective. And one of the uh, methods is being more sociable. So uh, getting out and socializing actually is a way that we can improve vagus nerve function, which I find fascinating, especially with my work with pyroluria, because there is a subset of people who have pyroluria, which is the social anxiety condition, where they don't want to go and socialize. And it just makes me think all of those folks are, are, you know, not getting that wonderful vagus nerve activation. Other tool, other ways to activate the vagus nerve, gargling, humming, singing are very effective ways to improve vagus nerve function. And it's interesting too, when you meet someone and they have certain issues and you could kind of connect to like, oh, it might be a vagus nerve issue. I find that a lot of times they'll have trouble with some of those things like gargling, for example. They may not be able to do it for very long, you know, and that's just even more indication that there's something here, you know, and we need to look at that. Yes. Now, I know you also did an interview with Dr. Group um, on the role of B12 in anxiety. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I think B12 is a very underappreciated B vitamin. And the the problem is if it gets really low and stays really low for a long time, the effects can be very long lasting. So we want to make sure that we know what our B12 levels are. And it's not just a matter of testing B12. We want to test... uh, B12, methylmalonic acid, and homocysteine. So looking at those three together is very important. But a number of studies showing strong correlations between low B12, anxiety, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And then interestingly enough, constipation is a big factor. So we'll often think about constipation and fiber and using magnesium possibly to help thyroid health. But there's a very strong correlation with constipation and low B12. So it's definitely something that we need to be looking at. Trudy, you really do amazing work with anxiety. And um, I know you have a personal story with this as well. Would you be able to share? Yes, certainly. I got into this work because of my own anxiety. I was working in corporate America, uh, working really long hours, really stressed out and not getting enough sleep. And I was in my late 30s. So I had perimenopausal changes happening. And later on, I discovered I had gluten issues and heavy metals and parasites and dysbiosis, you name it. So I had this perfect storm of, of factors that were contributing to my anxiety, but I had dreadful, dreadful anxiety. I was basically a mess for three weeks out of the month. I had uh, a number of panic attacks, which were terrifying. And I developed social anxiety. And, uh, you know, even to the extent that being around family and having family around for dinner was just too stressful. So it was a very interesting time. I read every single book that I could get my hands on. I worked with a wonderful naturopath and I started to make this powerful connection between what we put in our bodies and how it makes us feel. And eventually I went back to school to become a nutritionist. Uh, Long story short, no more anxiety, no more panic attacks. And GABA was one of my lifesavers. I call myself a GABA girl. GABA really helped me. I used tryptophan as well. I healed the gut. I got off gluten and I addressed heavy metals and all these root causes that can contribute to anxiety. And my, my mission now is to just share this message because I experience it and I see such an amazing turnaround with my clients. And so many people 
are just like flawed. Where did this anxiety come from? And it's it's often this culmination of life stresses. And then as we get older and, and hormones change and everything else starts to happen, that it suddenly rears its ugly head. And if we can address it before it, before you get to the point of having panic attacks, that's what we ideally want to be doing. Right. Well, it's amazing all of the work that you've done and how much you were able to help yourself. It's wonderful. And, um, you know, we're talking about Lauren's case here, and I'm going to tell everyone um, in a bit about exactly what we did for Lauren. But before that, can you share a client case, uh, maybe someone you had recently or someone that comes to mind where you'd use the amino acid therapy and how it worked for them? Yes. So I, uh, one of my early clients that I worked with had really bad eczema um, all down the side of her neck and on her shoulders and arms. Very, very severe so to such an extent that she couldn't go to the gym. She was, she was having a hard time showering. She'd been working with doctors for about 10 years to try and get resolution. She also had a really bad anxiety, which is why she came to work with me. She had depression. She was on an antidepressant and she had this incredible cravings for cookie, cookies. And I, I said to her, the first thing we need to think about is getting uh, you to go gluten-free. And this was just too much for her. She said, oh my gosh, I just love my cookies. And she was, you know, really addicted to them. And I said, well, look, let's do a trial of GABA uh, and see how you do. And she did really well with the trial and that helped break that addiction because what the amino acids do is they help to break that addiction. The other amino acid we used was actually DPA, which helps with endorphins when you absolutely love something. So we used the DPA, which is D-phenylalanine, which helped break that addiction as well. And it enabled her to get off the cookies and all the carbs that she was self-medicating with. She also, um, you know, we got her to change her diet and she added in this whey protein to make a smoothie in the morning. She came back a week later and she was feeling a lot better, but she still had the skin issues. And we discovered that she actually had gluten in the whey protein that she was consuming. So we made sure she got a whey product that did not contain uh, gluten. And the next week, the second week she came back, her eczema was starting to heal. Uh, she was feeling so much better. She was able to completely quit the sugar and the cookies. And the, the good news is that she only needed to use the amino acids pretty short term. It was about a month because what all it did was help break that addiction. And once she got off the gluten, then her mood started to improve dramatically. Her eczema started to heal. And she was actually able to go to the doctor a few months later and get off her medication. So very, very powerful to think that uh, those amino acids gave her that initial relief, gave her that hope and helped break that addiction. So she was able to make all the other dietary changes that she needed to make. Yeah. Oh, that's so inspiring. Did you find that it's typically the case where people would use them short term and then once they fix their underlying issues, they don't need them anymore? Or are there some people who need, you know, maybe a small amount or, you know, a certain amount of the amino acids ongoing? I would say it's a mix. Um, there are very few people who would need it uh, for a month or two. Most people need it for longer. I would say certainly people in their 30s and 40s with a whole host of other issues going on like I had, 
uh, and what I see with a lot of my clients, it's usually three months, six months, maybe nine months, maybe up to a year. That being said, you've got to make all the other changes that we talked about, the diet and the lifestyle and the gut and, and get to all those other root causes. But there are some people who may need to be on them longer term. Certainly, we mentioned the winter blues. So some people need to get back on serotonin support every winter because it, their serotonin goes down. And then there are people with uh, ongoing Lyme disease or heavy metal issues that they haven't managed to resolve would need to be on them longer term. And if they've got some of the genetic polymorphisms that are expressing like MTHFR, for example, uh, they may need to be on them longer term. And is there any downside for someone being on it say indefinitely? I have not seen any issues. I haven't seen anything in the research to indicate their issues. As long as we are addressing a deficiency, uh, then it shouldn't be an issue. Uh, but we do want to, as I said, we want to try and get back to say, well, why have we got that deficiency? And I think some people feel like oh, I'm not going to work on the dietary stuff. I'll just keep taking the amino acids. And we definitely don't want to be thinking it like that. We want to actually make all those dietary changes because when we do, then we're providing the body with the raw materials. So it may be, you know, maybe a matter of saying, well, now I've got to start eating animal protein again, grass-fed red meat. But if you don't have hydrochloric acid in order to digest that protein, you're not going to be able to e extract the amino acids in order to provide raw materials for making your own serotonin or GABA. So it can be a matter of unwinding all the root causes to try and figure out why you can't make them on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I'm with you 100%. I'm always asking, well, why does this happen? And what's at the root of that? And what's at the root of that? You know, it's always about figuring out like what actually caused it. So I'm with you 100%. I was actually asking this question because I have some people and I bet you probably have some clients like that too, who, you know, when they find something that really works for them, you know, they really hang on to it. And it's like their, their thing, you know, and I, a lot of times it's the same situation. I'll say, well, you know what, now that we fix this, this, and this, you don't longer need this. Your body can do it on its own. And they'll say, oh, but, but this is my friend, you know, I don't want to give it up. And then there's this like connection that they've built with it. But um, I agree with you. I think it's about reassuring people that once you've fixed it, that they don't longer need those raw materials. Right. And it might change, you know, it comes and goes and changes. I have been dealing with Lyme disease myself and I've seen a higher need for some of some of the serotonin support and GABA support again. Um, I haven't had the anxiety issues, but it definitely affected my sleep issues. So if you are suddenly now dealing with some kind of infection or maybe you've been exposed to high, high levels of fluoride because you've moved to a new city or something like that, that can have effects. So uh, it can change depending on, on your hormone levels as you're going into perimenopause or menopause. So it can, it can change and it just being you know which is one of the reasons why doing a trial and getting those results and that feedback is great because once you've experienced it once if something changes down the road you know how to use those tools again exactly such a good point or someone could just be going through a really stressful time or something that may have happened you know that they may need it to support them during that time yes that makes a lot of sense well Trudy thank you so much for all of this information this is so helpful and so insightful and I really really appreciate you being here thank you so much Thank you so much for having me. As we just heard, amino acids are amazing building blocks for our neurotransmitters, and it's one very effective way to help balance things naturally when they're off. 
I will tell you more about what we did for Lauren in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Trudy Scott, and her super informative free virtual summit, where she and 36 other well-known experts in the field explore the gut-brain connection as it relates to anxiety, just go to my website, healthmysterysolve.com, and go to episode number 35. You will see all the information that she referenced, as well as a link to her free guide to amino acids, which is a great resource for anyone looking to explore this further. As for Lauren, we looked at all of her symptoms in depth and compared them to the typical symptoms of different neurotransmitters. And for her, she was completely on par with low serotonin symptoms. Now you could see the full list in the link in the show notes, but she had almost everything on the list, specifically the anxiety, the panic attacks and phobias, feeling worried or fearful, obsessive thoughts and behaviors. She was definitely a perfectionist and felt kind of overly controlling. There was irritability. Her anxiety was worse in the winter. She had the winter blues, excessive self-criticism, low self-esteem or poor self-confidence, difficulty getting to sleep, and some insomnia or disturbed sleep. So we did a trial with tryptophan. And after just a few minutes of taking it sublingually, she noticed she was feeling calmer and her mind was quieter. It was pretty amazing. So we started with 500 milligrams of tryptophan twice a day, and then I had Lauren increase it to 1,000 milligrams, and she felt great within just a few days. Of course, every person is different. So if you're going to try this, please be sure to work with a qualified practitioner that can monitor you and help you find the dose that's right for you, since this is not a one-size-fits-all approach, and everyone's going to have a dose that's going to be better for them. Now, Lauren was feeling calmer, had way less anxiety, and noticed a lot of the obsessive thoughts subsided as well, just as Trudy mentioned in the interview, and what Trudy finds with many of her clients as well. However, Lauren was still having a little trouble falling asleep at night, even with the tryptophan. So after two weeks on that support, we added a small amount of GABA. I gave Lauren the liquid GABA from Quicksilver Scientific, and she took four pumps of that before going to bed. I like the liquid because it could be taken sublingually and she felt even more relaxed after about 10 minutes. Instead of the usual one hour to fall asleep where she tossed and turned, she fell asleep in 30 minutes the first night. We continued on the GABA and the next night she fell asleep in 20 minutes and then the following night it only took 10 minutes. Woohoo! Lauren took the tryptophan and GABA for about two months while we supported her gut and improved her diet. She also went gluten-free in this process, which was a big help. After two months, her symptoms were gone and she didn't need the tryptophan any longer. She still continues to take the GABA in the evenings because it really helps her to fall asleep, especially after a long, stressful day. She was so excited to see all these positive changes in her body after so many years of suffering with this unrelenting anxiety. If Lauren sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. If you like the show and can take a minute to post a review on iTunes, I would truly, truly appreciate this as well. Now, when it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. 
All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.